This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 286 with Heather Borman. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes for our sponsors, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 286. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. And now for our fantastic guest today, Heather Borman. Heather Borman lives an intensely joy-filled and full life as a homeschool mom to three fringy kids and the executive director and therapist with Borman Counseling. She passionately advocates for differently wired kids and adults through her work as a national speaker, writer, and podcaster at The Fringy Bit. Heather's also the author of The Gifted Kids Workbook, which provides mindfulness-based activities to help kids reduce stress, balance emotions, and build confidence. Listen in to hear Heather share how she meets the unique needs of her three fringy kids through a mix of homeschooling and traditional schooling. Learn her definition of fringy kids. Learn common misconceptions of gifted kids and misconceptions about parenting gifted kids. You're going to learn the importance of self-compassion when parenting fringy kids, and you're going to learn why it's okay to go AWOL sometimes and what to do if you suspect another mom might have gone AWOL. So this is a great conversation. I so appreciate Heather being here. I think you're going to learn a lot, and I think you're going to find Heather to be super engaging and entertaining. I know I really enjoyed this conversation, and I felt like we could have just gone on and on. I learned a lot from her, and I have 
tremendous amount of respect for all the things she has her hands in and how she manages it all with her, I should say, her perfectly imperfect fringy family. It's like a long title, but Heather's rocking it. So let's go with it. Okay, let's dive in with Heather Borman. Heather Borman, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here. Hi, super excited to be here. Yes. So this is our second conversation. I was on your show, The Fringy Bit, last month. And so now apparently we talk to each other every month and it's awesome. <laughs> I know. We need to keep it going. We'll just I know. We'll keep coming up with topics to talk exactly, about. Exactly. Exactly. I don't think coming up with new topics would be a problem. Like I feel like no. it was so easy on your show. So I think it's going to be so easy today. And so it's going to be, this is going to be great. I'm very excited. I agree. Me too. Me too. So tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. Sure. So I am married to a tall and handsome Brit. We just celebrated our 18th anniversary yesterday. So woohoo, we're making it. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. And we have three kiddos together. They are 13, 10, and 6. He just turned 6. And let's see, I'm a therapist. I have a private practice. I homeschool my boys, which are the 13 and 6-year-old. And then my 10-year-old goes to public school. And I write, I blog, I podcast. I am a perpetual and innate night owl who still thinks the world should start at like 10 or 11 in the morning. (laughs) The world just isn't catching up with me. Super (laughs) conducive for motherhood, by the way. Oh, it's awesome when, yeah, Chimp, our six-year-old, he wakes up at six every morning. (laughs) That's mine. And I keep thinking, like, doesn't he outgrow the 6 a.m. thing at some point? I don't think he's going to. Well, having a 13-year-old, too, I will say he will. Okay, good. I'm (laughs) waiting. I'm waiting. I thought kindergarten was going to be when he finally slept regularly till maybe seven. Nope, not so much. (laughs) No, not so much. Yeah, it's awful. And I've tried, like, because I'm not a morning person, I've tried getting up earlier so I can get a cup of coffee in me. And I think it sticks for maybe three days. And it's just like... (laughs) It's a a challenge. I know. I know. I've like, I don't know that I was naturally a morning person, but I trained myself into becoming a morning person at some point in my journey. And now it's fine. Like, I mean, I don't ever love getting up, but I think it would be painful no matter what time it was. So I just like do it and get it over with. But I know there's people who really struggle, like, and I think of my sister in this instance, like she was someone who routinely loved to sleep till 10 or 11 until she had her child. And I can't imagine how painful that must be when you're going from like, that's your ideal to like going to five or 6am. That's really hard. (laughs) Like I was like seven or 8am to move to 6am is not like horrible. It's hard, but it's not horrible. But I mean, 6am is the middle of the night if you're used to 10am. Yeah, well, and the problem is I'm not great at time management necessarily. So I get my alone time like a lot of moms do after the kids go to bed after my husband goes to bed. And because I'm a night owl, like I love staying up until midnight, one, two, which really isn't good when they're waking up at six. Right, right. (laughs) But I've learned to take naps, which is okay too. Like I don't (laughs) like that. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm excited about this conversation. And actually, just like talking through your bio, I actually have some questions. So let's start there. And then we'll go into a few other things. So you mentioned your kids are 13, 10 and six, you homeschool two and not one. And I think there's a glaring question right there conversation (laughs) that like, we should just touch on right away. 
And I'm also fascinated by homeschooling and the evolution of homeschooling because I think it's changed tremendously in the last 10, 15 years, uh, or maybe even the last five to 10 years. So tell us a little bit about homeschooling two of your three kids and not homeschooling one of them. Yeah. Well, the reason my middle child is not homeschooled is because we both wanted to stay living. <laughs> and that That's wasn't going to happen if I continued to homeschool her. It's <laughs> a pretty, pretty good reason. Yeah, yeah, good reason. So Cub, who's our 13-year-old, I'm sure we'll get into this later too, but he showed pretty early that he was going to be developing kind of quickly and has a gifted brain. Okay. And as we had him in like daycare centers and we were noticing when he was with same aged peers, he was doing things that just weren't fitting. And so we asked if he could be moved up to the next age level, because that's more where he was at in terms of his verbal abilities and things like that. And it was a struggle to advocate to get him what he needed, even Mm -hmm. just in a daycare center. So I was flashing forward a couple of years to school. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a struggle to make sure that he gets what he needs and actually learns in school. And I don't mean that in any type of pretentious way, but just the way that he thinks and how he was developing. Both my husband and I, there were times where like we sat in school and kind of were just bored because there wasn't like we were done. So we started looking at homeschooling and it seemed like it would be a really good fit because it can be child led And so how we do it with Cub and with Chimp, who's our six-year-old, is every year I just ask them things that they want to learn. And then I find some resources and we just dig and go. So (laughs) it works really well with these kind of creative outside of the box learners. So we've been able to challenge him, but then also just follow where he wants to go. Yeah. Along comes K-Bear, who's our 10-year-old. And she also has a bright mind, but is also on the spectrum, the autism spectrum. And she just needs the rigidity of the daily routine of school. Like she does much better when she's in school, in a public school format, which at home, like, you know, we might be hanging out on the couch reading together, or maybe it's a nice day. So we just go on a nature hike or, you know, I mean, it's really much more flexible, which wasn't working well for her. And the early elementary stuff, a lot of her disabilities were getting in the way of the learning of those early elementary things. And so it was difficult. And because I'm mom, she's super comfortable with me. Yeah. (laughs) So I get all the things from her. Comfortable, (laughs) not in a good way. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I've actually asked her, like, is there a way you could feel less safe around me? Like, (laughs) (laughs) what can I do? (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) And so it was just getting to that point where our relationship was completely deteriorating. I was crying every day. I was like, this is silly. What are we doing? So in first grade, she went into the public school and it's been a fantastic fit for her. It does make it kind of weird because I'm not just a homeschooling mom and I'm not just a public school mom and I'm not just a working mom. (laughs) I kind of have a foot in a lot of different doors, but it works for our family. And I'm a big believer in do what works for each individual kid because it's going to look different. Yeah. You use the term fringy kids and I love this terminology and I want you to tell us a little bit about where that terminology comes from and how it pertains to your children, your family. Sure. So it started because as a therapist, I was beginning to specialize in working with differently wired kids, both 
kids on the gifted end and kids who had other developmental differences. And trying to explain that became <laughs> like just a lot of words. Yeah. So it wasn't flowing off the tongue. So I started to say kids on the fringes. And then that just kind of morphed into fringy kids. One of the other pieces that fits with that is my daughter, who has, like many kids on the autism spectrum, has some sensory processing issues. And when she was a toddler, she had, you know, those big fleece blankets that are tied together. Like it's, yeah. So she would carry a full size one of those around. Like that was her lovey blanket. <laughs> Super convenient. Just big, huge right. fleece blanket everywhere. <laughs> It was awesome. I'm like, seriously, we have to add 20 pounds to you? (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) But she would lug it around. And one night when she was probably three, like she just wasn't settling for bed and she was moving her, the blanket around. I was like, what are you doing? She goes, I looking for my fringy bit. (laughs) I was like, oh, I love it. (laughs) So she has one special little tassel thing that was her fringy bit that she'd stretched out and she would rub under her nose and that was just her sensory comfort Mm. thing it has 10 years later since torn off but we have it in a frame oh my gosh it's created other fringy bits that her special bit so i don't know there's something with the smell and with that one thing so That's the other reason, I mean, for our podcast and blog, it's called The Fringy Bit, partly because we deal with kids and families on the fringes and yeah. partly named after that because we hope to provide that comfort like her fringy yeah. bit gives her. And because sometimes it feels like we all, as parents of neurodiverse kids, it often feels like you're just hanging on to one little fringy bit and that's all you've got left. Right. <laughs> and, and you're doing everything to hope that thing doesn't break off. Yeah. So that's where the name comes from. I love it. So this might be like, I don't know, there might be three completely separate stories in this, but I'm curious about like your entrance into motherhood and the challenges that you faced that have inspired your work. And I don't know if that was just like when your 13 year old was born, it kind of started you on this path of recognizing neurodiversity or if with each child, it's kind of been different and shifted it in different ways. So I'll let you just take that and run with it. <laughs> and <laughs> let me good. let me know where you want to go with it. <laughs> okay, it sounds good. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I guess my first thing I would say is with the first two, it definitely it has shifted motherhood and how that's become my passion working with neurodiverse kids. As like many third children, like Chimp hasn't influenced quite so much because by the yeah. time you get to the third one, you're kind of just like, okay, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. let's just keep you alive as best we can. Yeah. And you're fine. <laughs> Eat the dirt, child. It's right. fine. <laughs> <laughs> but with Cub, it was really, again, when we were noticing just people commenting on how clearly he was speaking and he spoke really early. Mm. He crawled really early, but then he actually walked late and oh. you could almost see his brain working like, He figured out how to get to what he wanted. So Mm -hmm. he didn't really care about getting there in a different way because he could get what he wanted. So he didn't start walking until like 17 months, but he was crawling at six. So Wow, Wow. that's so interesting. Yeah. So there's some of these like with gifted kids, you can see some developmental things early on. Like he was saying his first words at 10 months and by 18 months, he was putting together like two words, like those short little Yeah little sentences. And then at 
four, we were starting to talk about homeschooling and he asked to learn about the chemicals that were in the meteors that could be so strong to kill (gasps) off the dinosaurs. (laughs) I mean, there's like so many words in there that my six-year-old doesn't even know. (laughs) I I was like, okay. So, yeah. So we started, we found a little kid version of chemistry. So we were learning some chemistry and he, thankfully I was not home. He turned to my husband and he said, so dad, and he's now five. John was like, yeah. He goes, so everything's made out of atoms, right? John said, Yep. And he said, and God made everything in our beliefs. John said, yep. And then he said, so then what's God made of? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And John's jaw dropped and he said, ask your mother. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just tackle all of the life's biggest questions on your fifth birthday. (laughs) Exactly. Let's just let's just do this. (laughs) So with questions like that and knowing that I was going to be homeschooling, I wanted to learn more about how to challenge his mind. Cause I think, you know, most of us, we hear gifted or we hear kids who are, you know, progressing a little bit faster in some ways and we get stuck thinking it's all about the mind and how the mind works. So we think about school mostly. Yeah. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like 
a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. So I went to a conference and when I was at the gifted conference trying to learn how I could teach this kid, I actually learned about that giftedness is a neurodiversity. It's not just about how a person thinks, but it's about how a person is literally wired differently than the norm, experiences the world differently and more intensely. So things like emotions can be bigger and like senses tend to be more heightened. So I'll work with some gifted kids and my clock that's ticking in the room. They're like, Heather, you have to move that clock out to the hallway. (laughs) Interesting ticking so loud. Some gifted kids have more energy just bursting through their body. So it looks a lot like ADHD, but it's not because they can focus. It's just they have more energy. They just live more intensely. Creativity tends to go along with that. And there's other psychological traits that tend to go along with giftedness that I had never heard of before. And at that point, I had my master's degree. I was working as a therapist. And as I was learning this, I'm looking back at all of the kids that I had misdiagnosed because I didn't know about this and that this type of personality structure is normal for gifted kids. So the experience with him certainly just completely changed the direction I was heading. I thought I was going to do medical social work and grief focus on that. And then it just became a big passion of mine because so many kids and adults are being misdiagnosed because they're being misunderstood in both in terms of the medical side but and psychological side, but also in terms of academics and in school settings and institutions in general. And then my daughter came along And she's also gifted, but she's what's called twice exceptional, which means that there's giftedness and some other developmental or learning difference. Mm -hmm. And that's like, (laughs) that's just a whole different level of intensity. So you have the intense experience of the world, but you also have maybe the communication issues of autism or the social issues of autism or sensory processing issues bigger than just being more aware of senses. And then they all interplay in different ways. And it's intense. It's an intense parenting journey. So knowing that then, my husband and I both really want to make sure that we reach out to other parents of differently wired kids because it can be so intense and so different than the norm. So it's hard to find support and community in that. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about the conversation, the interview, I've done two interviews with Debbie Reber, who I know you've also interviewed. And so much of what she talks about, you've echoed here. And Mm -hmm. that piece about support is so important and so significant. And like, you anticipate that the biggest challenge is going to be like advocating for your child and making sure that their needs are met and making sure that you're, you know, meeting them where they're at every single day. But then there's a secondary component of like, 
having connection with people who can relate and understand the journey that you're on. And that's huge. Huge. And it is. I mean, even with Cub, who is just gifted, he doesn't have other exceptionalities. I couldn't share that story of asking what God's made of (laughs) without people rolling their eyes. Right, right. Like, I'm not bragging. This is difficult. Like, have you tried to answer a (laughs) five-year-old question like that? Like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. (laughs) And the intense emotions or like he would get a sliver and he'd lay on the couch for three hours because (laughs) it hurts so badly. You know, there's these, and then it's hard not to, when you can't find that other support, then automatically self-doubt starts to creep in as a parent. And then when you have those other exceptionalities, like twice exceptionality, um, like Debbie Reaver's son and like our K-Bear, it's just amplified because then maybe there's aggressive outbursts and these other things that as a parent is a really hard journey. And so much of it is focused on the kids, which is good, right? but it completely changes your life as an adult and as a person. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, we need to have space for that to really talk about like, it's a hard journey, a really hard journey. Right. I mean, there's good parts, but it's hard. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like any given day can be really overwhelming. And that goes for like any parent. So to be like, take any parents, just average overwhelming day, which is maybe most days and then like amplify it, you know, times 10 or 20 or a hundred or whatever. I mean, that's, it's a lot. And also when you add in this component of homeschooling so that you have like a lot of time with your kids, (laughs) which maybe, I mean, in some ways it's such a gift, but also, I'm sure plays into some of the overwhelm and exhaustion sometimes because like I get to escape my child for a decent amount of the day, five days a week. (laughs) Yes. Well, and for us right now, it's working really well because the child who ends up being the squeakiest wheel, we all do get to escape from her for six hours a week, a day. And it's working really well for her. So it's nice because it allows me to connect with my boys in ways that I can't when my daughter's yeah, around yeah. and it allows all of us to just kind of <sighs> breathe a little yeah. bit. And yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm around them, but also homeschooling looks so different than what you think. Until so that was my next question. Doing- <laughs> yeah. So that's a perfect segue. Thank you. What I was curious about is you're homeschooling, but you're also like a working mom and you're the executive director and a therapist at your counseling center. And so like, I'm sure everyone's like, how do you do that? And homeschool, like, how does that all work? <laughs> some days well, and some days not so well. <laughs> uh, first of all, I'll say that John and I really function as a partnership. Okay. And so I'm very grateful for him because we do this together okay. and really our whole family kind of works together as a unit. So like the fringy bit is kind of becoming a family project. It's not just on me. And John's also a therapist. So he works at the practice and is an owner with me. So a lot of the stuff I'm, I'm learning how to delegate, (laughs) but homeschooling, you know, it isn't, first of all, really most homeschooled elementary kids maybe spend two to three hours a day doing learning like 
school work kind of learning work. Right. I mean, they're learning all the time, kids are. Mm-hmm. But because it's so individualized and because it's one-on-one attention and you don't have to take attendance and you don't have to get in line and you don't have to walk to gym class and all of those other things, like that six-hour school day really can get pared down to like two, three hours of focused work. Right. So it doesn't take as long. The other thing is that you really have, depending on your state, you have a lot of flexibility in what it looks like. So right now, Cub is going into high school work. So he does most of it on his own. I do algebra with him for about half an hour a day. And then we check in once a week to make sure he's staying on top of other stuff and have conversations about the other stuff he's doing. And then Chimp, he's six. So we're doing a lot of game play, alphabet bingo, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we start our days with together time where I read Harry Potter. Right now we're reading Harry Potter because I'm a total Potterhead. Oh, my <laughs> Vinny just asked about like when he can see Harry Potter. And I was like, I think we're supposed to read the book first. Like, I don't know how this works. Let me look it up. Let me figure it out. I don't know what's appropriate. So, <laughs> You know, with him being the age he is, I would start with the books. Yeah, that's what like, my he, husband thought too. He was going to do some research for us. Yeah. They can only be as scary as their imagination will yeah, make it with yeah. the book. But like... Chimp, we're on book four, and he's following it, and he loves the stories, but we stopped watching the movies after the second movie because it just gets a little scary. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, but we love it, and it's fun to introduce it to Cub and now introduce it to Chimp. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, Um, So we start by reading, and then, like, they're playing with Legos while I'm reading out loud, and, like then maybe we cook something together. Maybe we play a math game on the computer. I mean, it's really more relaxed, I guess. Yeah. 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 Do you have um, state like benchmarks that you have to hit? Different in each state. In Wisconsin, our compulsory education is from the ages of 16. So I have to file every year saying that I'm homeschooling. And what I'm agreeing to is that I will provide 875 hours of instruction. And then there's a certain group of content or subjects that I have to be teaching. But in Wisconsin, it's actually one of the more relaxed states. So as far as how I teach those or what he needs to learn at a certain age that is not part of it. There are other states where they have to submit a portfolio or they have to do tests or things like Mm -hmm. that, but not here, which is nice for these differently wired kids. Cause like in some things, that's one of the things with gifted kids is they develop asynchronistically. So meaning what you would expect of a typical six year old, most six year olds are going to be doing about what most other six-year-olds are doing in terms of their physical abilities and their emotion regulation and social skills and reading and math and all that. But with gifted kids, you have a bigger range. So they might be able to argue an argument like a teenager and think things through with logic and reason like a teenager, but maybe physically they're doing things right like a six-year-old would. Maybe emotionally they're operating more like a two-year-old in Math, they might be like in fourth grade and in reading, they might be in pre-K. It's just a wide range. Yeah. That works well for our kids that we don't have to do testing or whatever. Right. How do you manage the unique struggles of parenting neurodiverse kids? I mean, some of that might be in like homeschooling. Some of that might be in having three kids with different needs. But I know, I mean, we've touched on what some of those common struggles are. And how do you manage those on a routine basis? Mm-hmm. 
The first thing is to make sure that I have people that I can be totally real with. And, mm-hmm. you know, we like to paint this pretty picture of parenting often, and that just makes it more isolating. So, you know, I have a couple of friends who, one, I've been friends with since we were in junior high, and how she has a fringy kid, too. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how that happened. <laughs> but so we can talk to each other. And at those moments when you really feel stuck as a fringy parent, because you don't feel like you can keep doing it, but like, there's no other option. Right, right, right. <laughs> Get rid of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you can have somebody and be like, okay, I'm crying and rocking in the corner of my closet. Like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And she gets it, you know, and there's no judgment. Like, it's just that you can accept it. And we can say all those things like, yeah, I can't wait till school can start because like, she's driving me crazy. Right. <laughs> and they get it. Like, I still love her. But it's hard. So part of it is me also having that courage to be vulnerable with other parents, because you need somebody to go first. And if you can go first and other people to go open up and go second, it's that me too kind of thing. And then you have to change your mindset completely. I've learned how to care far less about what other people think, because I can't parent my kids the same way that other people parent their kids. Like, all the books don't work. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, wait, but it says that if I do this, you're going to do that. And you're not doing that. (laughs) Right. right. Now what? (laughs) So, you know, particularly for me, I grew up with German background heritage. And so it was very much uh, my parents said something and I did it. Like, Mm -hmm. there's no arguing. There's no negotiating. That's just how it is. And that doesn't work with a twice exceptional kid. Like, Mm -hmm. the more I would try that, the more likely it would turn into like an aggressive meltdown directed at me. You know, I mean, I've been hit, bit, punched, kicked, all of the things when she's in a meltdown. So she's not thinking clearly and not in control of herself at those moments. So I had to learn how to reset my own mindset to be like, okay, she's actually doing the best she can. She can't do it any differently right now. She's not choosing to defy me. She's not choosing to be mean to me. She can't do it differently right now. She's hurting. How can I help her in her hurt? And that to the outside can look like I'm just giving into things. And then, you know, there's a lot of judgment. People are like, oh, well, you're just giving in. What a bad parent. I'm like, no, this is what she needs right now. And we'll talk about it afterwards. But right now she can't do any different than what she's doing. So it's a really powerful shift to wrap your head around. Um, yeah. And, and I'm sure we can all think of situations. I mean, even with neurotypical kid, I think we can mm-hmm. think of situations where you feel like your kid is like doing something just to spite right. you. And right. you, like, you can't like make it not personal. And you can't. Right be neutral about it. And you can't give them a benefit of the doubt and think like they're doing the best they can right now. And right now they don't have the skills to do anything better. Like you're like, no, like this is a personal attack. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I mean, that, that's, that's a really helpful reframe to just acknowledge that like they can't do any better right now. Right. That doesn't mean I'm not going to change the expectations for next time or change, you know, like have a conversation yeah. about it, make it a teachable moment, like when we're out of the moment, but right. right now. But it shifts how we, and I would say how we approach people, because I would yeah. say the results, right? Yes, yes. And for me, like, I can't do any better than what I'm doing. So I need to figure out why can't I do better than what I'm doing? Like, 
what's missing? What's going on? How am I being triggered by my child looking at me and saying no? Or what's missing for my kid? Like, why are they doing it this way? Because if they could do better, they would. Like, no kid wants to disappoint and no adult wants to disappoint. Like, if we can't do it, then we can't do it and we need to figure out why. (laughs) So it helps to breed just some different problem solving and self-compassion and compassion for our kids too. Because we all have those moments, you know, where we just can't do it differently. We're doing it the best we can. Right. You talk about parents of fringy kids going AWOL. Tell us about that. I actually, I I was like snooping through your blog and I found this and I was like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. And again, I think it relates to parents of neurotypical kids too, but it was like, it was really striking to me and it made me think about like being conscientious of when a friend is not like quiet on social media or quiet in their, you know, not responding to a group text or whatever. It made me think about that in a different light. So I'll let you kind of take it from there. Sure, sure. Well, thanks for snooping, first of all. (laughs) I I do like to do a fair amount of stalking before an interview. I will be totally honest about that. That's great. You, uh, you're far more organized than I am because I, I kind of just fly with it when I'm talking to people. I love it. I think it's so fun. (laughs) Yeah. So, and I do agree, you know, I think the thing with parenting atypical kids is that most of the stuff is pretty similar in some ways to parenting typical kids. It's just more intensified. And it's hard because parents of typical kids, it's relentless and it's hard. And you can't really know how much more intensely relentless it is parenting a fringy kid unless you're doing it. (laughs) But a lot of the stuff does apply for, for every family, really. So yeah, I wrote that post. I think it was the beginning of the summer. K-Bear always struggles in the spring moving into the summer because school schedule starts to change. We start talking about summer things. She has a really hard time with transitions. Um, She hates summer. She hates Christmas break. She hates anything that is not at school because school is much more predictable than the rest of life. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy-on, easy-off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. So she was having an intensely hard time. And when I, I mean, to give you a picture of what a hard time looks like, she would get off the bus and she loses her words. And so when she's overtired, so she would be kind of in her mumbly baby voice. And then she would just drop her bag and kind of be making these vocalizations like, Mm. (laughs) and walking around, just stumbling through the house. She wouldn't respond to direction from me. So as I tried to give her the tools that we know work, she wasn't 
using them. So usually that meant that there was about two hours after school where all of my energy is focused on trying to get her the tools that I know would help and her resisting that and fighting it. And sometimes that looked like her running away. She left the house at one point and ran down to a nearby church. She'd taken her lakey, which is the thing with the fringy bit. And she just wandered out there. I had my, you know, as parent on my own. (laughs) So like, what do you do? You know? So sometimes it looked like her fleeing. Sometimes it looked like her literally attacking me. There was a time where I was in her room and she was melting down and I just was kind of in child's pose on the floor (laughs) because I just, I was like, I don't even know what to do. And then she hit me on the head and then she tried to crawl in her closet and the whole shelf broke down and like some important kind of memorabilia things from my childhood. They broke these porcelain doll things. Oh my like, gosh. Which just does not make like your emotional state any better. <laughs> right. No, exactly. And, like and it's just heightening, heightening, heightening. <laughs> exactly. And that's often what happens with right. differently wired kids because all kids feed off of the emotions that are around them. So as a parent, if you have a bad day, you can almost predict that your kids are going to have a rough day too. But with fringy kids, it's intensified. (laughs) So like you almost can't have a bad day because it's going to get a lot worse. Mm -hmm. And it's right at the time where you have nothing left to give. Like at about 5.45 PM maybe. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Where you're like, Oh, I can't put her to bed yet. (laughs) Right. We're all tired. We're all hungry. And we all want to cry. Right. And you're like, and I would make you dinner, except I can't leave you alone right now. (laughs) So, you know, all of that is happening. And you can imagine when that's day after day after day after day after day. Like you just as a parent, you literally have nothing left. Your kids can't function in the house, let alone outside of the house. So you kind of just disappear because it takes everything to just make it through those days or those weeks or those months. And that's what I meant by going AWOL. Like you don't even have the energy to explain it to people, right? Or I didn't have the energy even after a few weeks to reach out to my friends. Like I would literally get her finally settled into bed and then I would collapse in bed. Like, And so, you know, I think one thing is that it's important to be compassionate and understanding in those moments and try not to take that personally. If you have a friend with a differently wired kid mm. and they go AWOL, like right. <laughs> it's not personal. Right. And if you have, if you're at a place where you have some energy, maybe you can reach out and offer something. Cause when you're at those moments, and I think all parents can get this, especially moms, when you're at those moments, you don't even know what to ask for, for help, right? Like, You can't even think about what would be helpful. But if my friend showed up and said, hey, here's dinner, you're like, oh, yeah, that's helpful. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't know that would be helpful, but that's really helpful. (laughs) So, you know, I think one compassion for yourself if you're in those moments that it's okay to disappear from life for a moment. And also remember, it is temporary. It's not going to stay this way forever, even though it feels like it. That, I was going to ask you that when you go through those phases, like, do you know enough now to know that like, this is just for now? Or do you have phases sometimes where you're like, oh my gosh, like this is what we're doing every day from like 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. for the rest of my life? Yes. 
And yes. <laughs> <laughs> because I felt like that was just having a newborn where, and right. my friends would tell me who had like three-year-olds at the time, they're like, it's just a phase, like enjoy the snuggles, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, right. I need to know what day this ends because no one told me about these hard times and the crying from four to 6 p.m. every night. And I didn't know. And I got really like trapped in this mindset, which sounds silly now of like, this is what I do like every single day for the rest of my life from four to 6 PM, I'm going to have a screaming baby. And I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that like the baby would grow. And at some point he wouldn't <laughs> scream for two hours from four to six. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's getting better now because she is older. So she's yeah. 10 and she's maturing a little bit. And we do a lot of work with her understanding herself. And most of the time now, she's receptive to the tools that will help and she will even seek them out and use them herself. So because I have those positive moments, I can yeah. usually tell myself this isn't going to be forever. Right. But also, <laughs> especially when it first started out, like you have no idea where it's heading. You don't even really know what's going on and you just know things aren't quite right. And mm -hmm. so as the diagnosis comes, it does feel like it's a life sentence in some ways it is. And what I'm noticing now is that when she has those rough stretches, more what goes through my head is, is she going to be able to work through this and mature enough to actually be independent one day? Or is this literally what I'm going to be dealing with off and on for the rest of my life? Right. And that's a whole different kind of big question that you don't really want to ask because it's scary to look yeah. at that. And, you know, and my husband sometimes will be like, she is going to be able to move out. Right. And I'll be <laughs> like, I, I think so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's so unpredictable too. So it's rough. Yeah. And it changes from day to day. Yeah. You mentioned self-compassion a minute ago. Talk to us about how fringy parents can rest and recover and practice self-compassion when you find yourself stuck in these daily demands that can feel like they're maybe insurmountable at times. Right. So first it is essential for every parent that you get a break <laughs> and even more so for fringy parents. And yet it's that much harder for fringy parents because you can't yeah. just hire the teenager down the street. Like <laughs> you have to have somebody who knows how to manage your kids and who your kid is comfortable with. Or, you know, you might have other medications or things that have to be dealt with. So you can't like, you just have to be particular. But, you know, one thing with self-care, the times when you feel like you can't get it are the times when you need it the most. Right. So making sure that you find those supports somehow, and it might be through county services or it might be through extended family or through other parents of fringy kids so that you can get away. And sometimes that means getting away for a cup of coffee. And sometimes that means like quarterly, I go away for a weekend because as the mom, I tend to get more of it than my husband does. Mm -hmm. And so Oftentimes I'm doing content production, like I'm writing or <laughs> brainstorming new things, but that's like, gets me going. I love that yeah. stuff. It's like on your own terms, on your right. own schedule, uninterrupted. I mean, it's not considered work anymore. <laughs> like That's complete right, exactly. freedom. Even, right. if, even if like people would look at it and be like, she's totally working for three days straight, but it doesn't feel <laughs> right. that way. Yes. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm writing at three o'clock in the morning and nobody's interrupting me and I can sleep until 10. Yes. <laughs> yes. I can do it on my terms. Right. Yeah. But just having that and quarterly, like just two nights away, makes a huge difference. And yeah. 
in combination with me pursuing my own stuff. Like it's so easy to get stuck and sucked into the stuff of your kids. And we need to keep pursuing our own interests. Otherwise, like we get lost. And I counsel a lot of women, particularly that are at that empty nesting place who are completely lost, don't even know what they like or who they are anymore. So it's crucial that we keep pursuing our own stuff. And then in the midst of that, you know, I'm a huge fan of self-compassion. It is a far more effective tool than trying to build self-esteem. It actually has been shown to decrease anxiety, decrease depression, increase feelings of self-worth. And essentially, self-compassion is just showing yourself compassion, (laughs) which is noticing when you're struggling, noticing when you're in pain, noticing what you're feeling, and then responding with kindness and recognizing and this is based off of the work of Kristen Neff. She's got three components to self-compassion. One is mindfulness, because we can't be compassionate towards ourselves if we're not aware of what we're feeling. The second is recognizing the common humanity, that if I'm feeling this, or if I have said this, or if I have done this, or made this mistake, like most likely somebody else has felt the same way. I'm not that unique. Like other people have gone through this stuff too. And that just helps keep us from being too isolated. And it allows us that strength to be vulnerable and to share. And it's true. Like if I've gone through something, somebody else has gone through it. Like there's a lot more similarity than there is difference really. And then the third component is kindness. So responding with kindness instead of what our brains normally do to us, (laughs) which, you know, the way I get at that is, well, what would you say to a friend? Right. If I'm beating myself up because I yelled at my kid, you know, I'm going to be telling myself oftentimes like the natural instinct is to be like, oh, you're such a horrible mom. And being a therapist, I have all the book knowledge and theory to support myself that I've ruined them for life. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I know all the ways I've screwed them up. (laughs) So I can really get in there with the guilt and the blame. But I never would say that to my friend, right? If my friend said that she yelled at her kid, I'd be like, oh, you must have been at the end of your rope. Like, that's not typical of you. You're such a good mom. Like, that was one moment. Everybody has those moments, you know? And we'd show compassion. So it's saying to yourself the things that you would say to your friends. Those are the nuggets of self-compassion. I love that. That's so good. And it's funny. I love the point about how would you talk to a friend? Because I ask people routinely to consider how they talk to themselves and if they would ever talk to a friend that way. And I often use it in the context of like when you're standing in front of the mirror, trying on your clothes in the morning and you're just like beating yourself up because nothing looks the way you want it to look or whatever, the things that go through your head, like, would you ever say those to anyone else? (laughs) You never would. It would be like such abusive vocabulary and abusive language. And we totally talk to ourselves like that all the time. And I mean, and that happens in parenthood all the time after a situation where you're like, I really wasn't my best and mm-hmm. here's all the ways I'm going to beat myself up. And that's so not productive. So right. I think those tips on how to practice recognizing and practice more self-compassion, that's so helpful. Um, yeah. so, okay. So yeah. <laughs> it, it is, I mean, you know, I think a lot of times there's the heat of the moment mm-hmm. element. And I would imagine in parenting fringy kids that there's more times that you are in the heat of the moment that like you're in the heat of the moment, maybe daily, maybe hourly and things go to places that you wouldn't want them to go or that you would never plan for them to go. And then there's like 
having to recover from that? And what does that look like? And so I totally appreciate those components of practicing self-compassion and how powerful that can be and how much practice that probably takes. Oh, yeah. Tons of practice. That's not the way our brains are actually designed to work. They're designed to work over all of our mistakes and try to learn from them, but we've turned it in. Yeah, it's not so helpful. Yeah. So it takes a ton of work and I don't think anybody gets it done perfectly. Like that's part of self-compassion, right? Don't judge yourself or judge yourself (laughs) either. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So I always say in our membership community in Momentum Mamas, I always say, we talk about our core values of show up, practice and take imperfect action and celebrate wins. And so you have to just like kind of always take it back to this really like simplistic level that it's never about like doing it perfect or the best way, because that's probably not going to happen that way very often. It's never about right. like, it went exactly as I planned. Cause that's not right. gonna So yeah. it's, you show up, you take imperfect action, whatever that looks like in that moment, and then find a freaking win, like find right. the win. <laughs> yes. And it can yeah. be really little and it can be really silly, but when you can do that, that's such a huge mental shift that really changes the way your brain works long-term. Yeah, for sure. Important. Yeah. You know, one of the things with gifted kids is and adults is actually we see a higher rate of perfectionism among gifted kids Mm. starting really early. So it's not even necessarily learned. It's just and my theory is that they're able to perceive and imagine perfection in such a grand and intense way. But then they get frustrated because life obviously can't match up to what their brain sees. So like they can picture a Monet in their head and they want to create that, but Mm. they have four year old hands that just physically can't create it. Mm -hmm. And so I find trying to build self-compassion in our gifted kids, especially difficult and especially important. I mean, we see there's a recent study that came out that in a study of highly gifted adults, there is a 186% higher rate of depression in the gifted adults than in the general population. Wow. And yeah, I mean, it's just awful and it's sad. And you think of all of, yeah, <laughs> all of what that means. I mean, it's just awful. So yeah, so I think really trying to build that self-compassion is so important and is such a big passion of mine working with gifted kids, which was one of the reasons that I wrote the book that I wrote, which is the Gifted Kids Workbook that focuses on building self-compassion and embracing your own identity as a gifted kid mm-hmm. to just help build those things early. <laughs> because if we yeah. can get to learn that self-compassion early, then that perfectionism stuff will start to go down and depression just won't even have a place to get rooted in. Right. Right. That's so important. Okay. This has been so good and so helpful. I have one final question for you, but anything else that we didn't touch on that you were like wanting to make sure you got across or got out there? No, I mean, there's covered it all in other things. Well, no, we could do it. There's like 500. I'm always with certain topics. I'm always cautious about like, did I leave anything out or (laughs) it was I like negligent? (laughs) I'm going to practice some self-compassion right now, though. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So then final question, in what ways are you a shameless mom? Oh, in what ways am I not? I know. I know. That's kind of what I was thinking. (laughs) You know, I really have learned and part of it is because of my daughter as I've had to put her in hold like the side of the soccer field as she's trying to strip off clothes like I've just 
I've really learned to just speak my truth and what my experience is, is valid and it's what it is. And I know that not everybody has gotten to that place of maybe confidence to be able to do that or doesn't have the support to be able to do that. Like I'm really blessed with the support and my spouse and my friends that I have, that they have my back. So I just lay it out there and know, and I do that intentionally so that other people don't feel quite so alone and can be like, oh, good. <laughs> it's not just me. Right. So, yeah. I love it. I there love you go. it. Okay, where can people find you and the fringy bit? Yep. Well, you can go to our website. It's thefringybit.com and that's spelled F R I N G Y. And I'm assuming you'll have a link yes. in the show notes too. You could also go to my counseling site, which is Borman Counseling. We do well, we have a podcast, we have a blog, um, you can find the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and we also do consults. If you're in western Wisconsin, we do obviously counseling as well, and then I speak kind of all over the place, so mostly at gifted things, so if you're gifted state convention, I might be there. <laughs> Yay. Oh, that's so helpful and so great. So I'll make sure that all that stuff is linked up in the show notes over at shamelessmom.com. And thank you. Thank you for being here. And definitely if you have something, another book come out, whatever, like definitely come back and share it. I think that this work is so important, even for, I think it's important, obviously for families of differently wired kids, but I think it's also really important that the rest of us get a glimpse into like behind the scenes and what's happening. Cause fringy kids are if they're not our kids, they're our kids' friends or they're in their classroom with our kids or on their sports teams or whatever. So like, there doesn't, I really think it's so important that these conversations are happening among neurotypical families as well. So I really, really appreciate you being here. Thanks. It is my pleasure. Always fun to talk to you, Sarah. Yes. Maybe we'll do it again next month. <laughs> yeah, we kind of have to. Now. I know. I mean, we can't break the streak. <laughs> Thank you so much, Heather. I don't think you understand how much everyone looks up to you You never fail to go out of your way whenever somebody needs your help oh. You're gardening in roses, or as beautiful as you You bring the life right out the ground and everything you do Oh, you're everything that I wish I could be No, it's true And it shows In the love you share, in the life you lead There's no end to all you do And how much we adore you
No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us 